Great. We were going to be in First Chronicles tonight, but uh, fortunately, Pastor Joe is not feeling well. Um, you know, he asked me to teach Sunday night, and then right after he left after the last study this Sunday morning, he got sick. So keep him in prayer. I, it, you know, I've been with Pastor Joe 20 years, and you know, I've never seen him miss a study. So you know, he really doesn't want like to miss, and so keep him in prayer. This is. Uh, it's hard for him to stay home, but you know he really felt bad today. So keep him in prayer. Also, uh, want to keep in prayer a, a sister of ours here, Janelle. Uh, she usually comes on the Wednesday night service or Sunday night service, and she's she's pregnant. She's ready to have her baby. And um, I just got a note that uh, you know she, the the baby's on the way, but the that we would pray the ambionic fluid is low in the placenta. So. Um, so we, they're going to the hospital right now, so they wanted you guys to pray for her. They want us to lift her up. But also pray for, uh, and we want to get a praise report to the Lord for our, our brother Ken that we've been praying for uh, over the last couple uh, of weeks or a month. Um, he had some fluid on the brain, and they, they were going to go in and do uh, some brain surgery on him. You know, the doctors told him just the other day, you know what, you don't have to come after all. We're not going to do it. So praise the Lord for that. You know, God's, God's grace. Amen. Let's go before the Lord and lift these uh, prayers up. Father, first of all, Lord, we thank You, Lord, that You're able to do more than we could ask or think according to the power that works in us, Lord. And Father, we thank You that Your hand is not short, that You cannot touch, Lord. Thank You for what You've done in Ken's life, Father. We thank You for his first surgery going well, Lord. And Father, I, we thank you that he doesn't have to have brain surgery, Lord. And Father, you're, by your grace and your mercies, Lord. So, Father, thank you for that praise report. Lift up our pastor to you, Father. Ask that you administer to him, Father. You'd fill him with your spirit, Lord. Father, that you would help him in this time get to get the rest he needs, Lord, and to take care of himself, Lord. I bless Kathy, Lord, as she's there with him and taking care of him, Lord. So, may... He get well quick, Lord. He loves to be here. He loves to be about your word and useful in your hands, Lord. So get him back together so he could be here on Sunday morning, Lord. And Father, we lift up Janelle to you, Lord. Father, her and George and and uh, your little guy, Lord, we, we pray for their little little baby girl on the way, Lord. Father, that you would keep them both safe. Father, that you would set a hedge about them, give the doctors wisdom. Father, the nurses, Lord, may they may they get a treatment of the daughter of a king, Lord. So, Father, be with them tonight, Lord. We lift them up to you, asking that you administer to them, Lord, and you would set a hedge about them. And, Father, just bless those around them, Lord, so that your hand would be in this, Lord. May that baby be delivered safely, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Genesis. Chapter one, Genesis chapter one, really easy to easy to go to Genesis chapter one. But, you know, tonight's study is entitled Understanding Somewhat Difficult Topics, Understanding Somewhat Difficult Topics. And tonight I will be explaining the Trinity, understanding the term born again and how they fit together. So explaining the Trinity, understanding the term born again and how they fit together. First, explaining the Trinity. You know, you see, explaining the Trinity starts with a proper understanding of God and man. 
we, we have to have a proper understanding of God and man, ourselves. First, God. You see, God is infinite. He, and we are finite. God is infinite and we are finite. Infinite simply means unlimited, unmeasurable, to the extent of space, duration of time, knowledge, etc. You see, He's a creator. He's not limited to space, time, nor matter. He's not subject to his creation. He doesn't fit in that box. Take, for instance, you know, the iPhone or an Android. You know, somebody created that. That is a created thing. Uh, we see it had a designer. It's incredible in artistic design. It, it has injury. You, you see his engineering talents. But you see, its design surely shows us that there is a designer. There is a designer to the iPhone or the, the Android or whatever you prefer. But surely the designer is, isn't confined to the limits of his creation. And so that too with God. You know, this designer who created these phones is outside and has, has a greater knowledge in which, which he creates. And so too with God. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 2, in verse 6, the wisest man who ever lived, and that was Solomon, he said, but who is able to build him a temple? He was talking and praising the Lord and praying to the Lord. And it says, he said, since the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. The heavens of heaven cannot contain him. And then Solomon said, who am I that I should build him a temple but to burn sacrifice before him. You see, Paul, the greatest student, teacher in the New Testament said of God in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul said, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and your ways past finding out. How unsearchable is your wisdom and your knowledge. It's too high for me. Basically, guys, our brains are like a tiny teacup that we can't even barely fit our little fingers into the holes of the handle to the limitless ocean of the knowledge of God. See, he's infinite. We are finite. You know, we are finite. Finite meaning having bounds, having limitations that are measurable. And we are subject to limitations, the conditions of space, time, circumstances, and even law, the nature of law. You know, I like the acronym that I came up with is M-I-L-K. We have missing information and limited knowledge. You know, I, I don't know all things. I, I have a missing information. Sometimes I assume things that are not so. I have missing information. I have limited knowledge. But you see, God doesn't. Our God doesn't. He has all knowledge. He's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere at all times. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He spoke the Word, and the worlds were created. The universe was created. And He's omniscient. That means He's all-knowing. He even knows our very thoughts. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next year. That's why it's good to have a relationship with him and to communicate with him because he knows all things. 
You see, I kind of kind of got an understanding of this. You see, my my grandson and my son, uh, they're they're both artistic, and they have a way of, of always keeping me in a, in a teaching mode. I always have to uh, be uh, coming to them and teach, teaching them. You see, they're, they're both very intelligent. But sometimes I, I got to uh, bring things down to their level of understanding. I have, to, I have to come down and I have to teach them in a way they, they could understand, in a way they, they could grasp it. So you see, there's a separation gap between me and my grandson. There's a separation gap of, of the knowledge. So I have to, I have to stoop down and I, and I have to teach him in, in a certain way. And as I thought about this and I was pondering upon this separation gap that me and my grandson have or me and my son have, I couldn't help make the connection between the separation that is between me and my learning and when it comes to God. That separation gap of me, you know, because I considered the separation gap between me and my grandson. But you see there, guys, there, church, there is a separation gap between us and God. There is a big separation gap between us and God. You see, God comes down to our level. God comes down to our level. Why? Because the things are beyond our learning. There is a separation gap between us. And sometimes we think too much of ourselves and our earthly wisdom and our education. And, and it is important, though it may be. But you see, our earthly education and our earthly wisdom is but a drop in an ocean. A drop in the ocean compared to the learning gap that we have with God. We have a big learning gap with God. You see, so God comes down to our level. He communicates with us on our level. You see, my daughter and my wife, they, they, they taught my grandson how to do sign language. He, said, he says yes. He says yes now. He, you know, he gets his little hand and he goes, he'll say yes. He does sign language. He goes yes. And then, and then he, say, he says milk, and he grabs his hand like he's getting the udder of a cow or, 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 a, uh, or a goat, and he's milking it. And he says, milk. And then, and then he, says, and he says, more. And then he gets his little hands, and he goes like this. He goes, more. I want more. And then what he does is, is he goes, please, please. He says, he says more milk. More milk, please. And, and you know what? We, we, we stoop down to teach him that because we, we love him. So he, so we have to grasp the wisdom of God's love that he would stoop down, that he would come down and communicate with us. You see, Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, for an understanding heart. You see, I have to pray for an understanding heart because God is infinite and I'm finite. I have to pray, Lord, help me to be like Micah with you. 
Help me to understand you the way you want me to. Open my eyes, Lord, as as the psalmist said in Psalms chapter uh, 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous works from your law. You see, we are like babes who should come humbly before our God. To learn his great truth that confound the wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 125. Because the Bible says that the foolishness of God is, the, is wiser than the wisest of men. The weakness of God is stronger than the, the strength of man. And he calls the foolish to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty and the base things of the world in which the world despises, God has chosen. Why? So no flesh should glory in His presence. I, we, we, have, we, can, we can't glory in our own intellect. We can't glory in the things that we receive from God because they're God-given. You see, there's a, there's a bridge, there's a wide gap. There's a wide gap of understanding between us and God. But I love what in John chapter 14, verse 21 says, Jesus said, he who has my commands and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved of my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Do you love him today? I pray that he would manifest himself to you. And I and I pray during this study, Lord, manifest yourself to me. Show me who you are. You know, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20 talks about the creation, that we could understand God by the things that we're made. And you know what? We're made. We're God's, God created us. So we could get a glimpse of God. And my prayer is, is that we would, that God would open our eyes, that we would have an understanding heart, that we would love Him and desire Him to manifest himself to us so if you have your bible genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 27 genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 27 our starting reference point here for explaining the trinity what it means in the terms of being born again and how it fits together and while you're right there hold that thought why do we need to understand this? Why do we need to understand these terms? The Trinity. Why do we need to understand what it means to be born again? Because people come up to us with objections like, the Bible doesn't mention the word Trinity. Or sometimes that concept of the trinity is is too hard for us to grasp and we're afraid to answer somebody we're afraid of that question to come to us and say you know we're kind of afraid of talking about it but how about the term born again you know that that's kind of a a, an odd term nowadays um i'm born i'm a born again christian you know why why is it kind of uncomfortable because we see people exhibiting strange behavior or odd behavior, claiming to be born-again born Christians. P- 
people rolling on the ground, people falling backwards, people barking like dogs, people roaring like lions, you know, wiggling on the floor and laughing uncontrollably, speaking in strange dialects. I do that. Uh, speaking in strange dialect, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But, you know, things just get a little odd. And so we're afraid to talk about those two subjects, those two subjects of being born again in the Trinity because we're, we're not too sure. But God said here in the text, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So remember this chapter here. This chapter and verse here is before the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Before the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Down, go down on the page there to Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. And it says, and God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God said it was very good. And that word very good means flawless. Man was morally perfect. Everything that God created and him creating man in that state was in the image of God. And he was morally perfect. Man, at the original, man was created morally perfect. The world was perfect. You see, the Bible does teach that God is triune. The Bible teaches God's triune. That's, why, that's where we get that word trinity. Because the Bible does teach it that God is trinity. The Father is God. He proclaims to be the father in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 7. Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 17 verse 13. And 1 Chronicles chapter 22 verse 10. I just picked four. Just to proclaim that the father is God. Also, he's a creator. Deuteronomy 32, 6. The father is God. Jesus is God. Jesus claimed to be God. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 20 to 33. He said, I and my father are one. John chapter 8, verse 51 through 58. Mark chapter 14, verse 61 through 62. John chapter 5, verse 46 through 47. And Psalms speaks of him. Psalms 40, verse 7. Man, I just picked a few of those. Jesus is God and he is the creator of Colossians chapter 1, 6. So God is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. And now we have scriptures proclaiming that the Holy Spirit is God. John chapter 4, verse 24. And so on. There's so many. And Genesis chapter 1, at the beginning of your text there, verse 2 says, who created the world? The Holy Spirit. He have, we see that in scripture. So we, we establish from Scripture that God is triune. The teaching is in there. Um, the teaching is in there. In, second, uh, 
in Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians, chapter thirteen, verse fourteen, it says, "The God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit." Speaking of the Trinity, so explaining the Trinity. What to make of the term been born again and how they fit together. Some might say, well, I still don't get it. I, I still don't get this Trinity thing, you know, and, and it's OK. You know, it, it took me a while before it, it, it kind of clicked. Um, however, you know, have you guys ever had that person come up to you and say the Trinity is not in the Bible? How many of you guys have ever had that happen to you when they said the, tr- the word Trinity is not in the Bible, so I can't accept it. But here I just laid out, you know, over 20 verses saying that Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So the Bible does teach the Trinity. So what I usually ask that person who comes with that objection to me, I usually say, have you ever heard of the word dichotomy? Have you ever heard of the word dichotomy? How many of you guys have ever heard of the word dichotomy here? Okay, there's a couple of you. Dichotomy. And the word dichotomy isn't in the Bible either. Have you guys ever found the word dichotomy in the Bible? No one. No one's found the word dichotomy in the Bible. Um, It isn't in there. But the concept is taught. The concept is taught. The word dichotomy simply is a big word for describing a division into two parts. That's all it is. A division into two parts. So you see, there are two parts to you. There's two parts to you. There's two parts to you. That which is seen out here. And then you have an inner part of you, your conscience, that which is inside that that place where you lay all your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your feelings. And sometimes you're you're good at outwardly suppressing those feelings and hiding those feelings and emotions. You know what? That's the real you, inward you. So in essence, you guys are a dichotomy. You have a body and a soul. So you see there is an inside you and an outward you. And like I said, you, you, you do have a, we do have a way of sometimes suppressing these things. But inwardly, how we feel is how we express it outwardly. There's a separation And in the beginning here, in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. So the scriptures teaches that God is triune. He himself. Created us in his image after his likeness. And in his image, we are created. So it's safe to say that man at the beginning of creation, at the beginning of creation, was created morally perfect. And he was a lesser trinity. Man has created a lesser trinity in his original state, just like God in his image. You know, that's not I'm not reading into the text. That's what the text is saying. He created him in his image. And, you know, we could look a little deeper into this and find out uh, why. Because some might say, well, 
that doesn't sound right. Originally, man was, again, man was morally perfect. So, let's change the directions from the Trinity and focus on the second part here of what to make of the term to be born again. Turn with me over a page to the second chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And it said, The Lord took the man that He created in His own image. Remember, the Lord took His man that He created in His own image and He put him in a garden to dress and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, that same man that He created in His own image, remember that? He said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day you shall eat it, you will surely die. And you see that word for day here in the Hebrew is yom. That is a single time of a 24-hour period. So when God said, set him in the garden, this man whom he created in his likeness after his own image, he said, in the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. God warned them. Not to eat. Because they will die. And that word is muth in the Hebrew. And that just simply means they're going to die. They're going to die. But here you see, there's something we have to look at the text and, and, and look at what happened after. Because we see they're still around in, in Genesis chapter 3. And they're still around in Genesis chapter 4. And the Bible says he, Adam lived for some 900 and some years later. So it's like, well... Was God telling the truth? Hmm. Was God telling the truth? Well, I have to go to Jesus to clarify. Jesus will give me clarity. We got to keep in mind the word dichotomy is not in the Bible. Again, it's a big word describing a division in two parts. Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 28. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't fear one who could destroy your body. Fear one who could destroy your body and your soul. Your body and your soul. Again, we see this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 through 37. Jesus said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world physically? If he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus said and taught that unsaved, unrepented sinners will be cast in hell, both his body and soul intact. Well, some might say, well, after someone dies, they leave their body in the ground. But you see, according to Jesus, we, we always have to go to, back to what did Jesus say? According to Jesus in John chapter uh, 5, verse 28, he said, the hour is coming in which all the graves shall hear his voice and they shall come forth. They who have done good unto the resurrection of life and they who have done evil to the resurrection of the damnation. 
So after the second coming of Jesus Christ, there are going to be a there's going to be a reuniting of the body and the soul. There's going to be a reuniting of the body and the soul unto the resurrection of life or unto the resurrection of damnation. As Jesus said, both soul and body will suffer in eternity in hell. You see, the place where Jesus said, described, was for Satan and his angels. It's not created for man. Hell's not created for man. It's created for Satan and his angels. So we established that God is triune. Man in his beginning state was created in God's image. But man, who's appointed to death and damnation, here Jesus refers to body and soul. In Ephesians chapter 2, church, before, Uh, says that before a man becomes born again, before a man gets saved, the Bible teaches that he is sin, he is dead in sin, it's in trespasses. Before you become a believer, the Bible teaches you are dead in sins and trespasses. Some of those traits, you walk according to the course of this world, you're, you're walking in disobedience, meaning your conduct, is in direct contrast to a biblical lifestyle. You're walking according to the course of this world. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You see, our conduct, our lifestyle will give us away. Whether we are in the faith or not. Are we living to satisfy ourselves, our lust of our flesh, or those things of our mind? The Bible says that we are... In the same chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 through 3, that we were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. So the Bible teaches we were children of wrath. You know, you, you have people say, oh, we're all children of God. No, we are all created beings, but we are not all children of God. The Bible doesn't say that, it doesn't teach that. But here it's speaking of the natural birth. You see, back in Genesis chapter 3, on the day they ate the fruit, they died spiritually that day. See, Adam died that day. God didn't lie. God told the truth. They died spiritually that day. And Romans, Paul describes it in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12, through one man's sin, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men, Because all had sinned. So we inherit a sin nature. We are born a dichotomy. Every one of us was born a dichotomy, body and soul. That's why if we grow up and we become men and then we die without salvation, our body and soul gets cast into hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Because Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark. You know, a lot of times we have different categories of, 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 of sins or just we justify sin, our behavior or sinful behavior. We justify morals. I, you know, I had somebody saying, you know, I, I gave up eating meat because it, it, it was a moral reason. Well, your morals are different than mine. Well, I have to go by biblical morals. And what does God say sin is? God simply says sin is missing the mark. Look at what one sin, 
Don't eat the fruit. What was this first sin? Disobedience. Disobedience to God. Have I always been obedient to God? No. Because His moral standard shows me that I, I can't. I, I don't. I miss the mark. And, and it's an archer's term for hitting the bullseye. And all of us, we all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God. They say we don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You see, back there in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 25, we are sinners by nature. We've inherited it. We've inherited by nature. It's been passed down from Adam. We are sinners and our behavior testifies it by the way we live. It gives us away. And before Christ, we are considered dead. Every person before coming to Christ is considered spiritually dead. So we establish that God is triune. Man in his beginning was created in God's image. But man was uh, appointed to damnation, and that only refers to the body and soul, and man is dead spiritually. That's bad news. That's bad news. Remember the term born again. The term that scares people. Jesus was talking to a religious scholar, biblical scholar, a very religious man. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. For that, verse 6, for that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In verse 7, he said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So you see, it's not enough for us to be religious or have do religious activities apart from being born again. You know, here, that's a weird saying. We, we don't like to associate with being called born again. But I'm going to ask you, are you born again tonight? Are you born again Christian? Because Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Forget all the weirdness. Forget all the crazy stuff. Lord, I, I, I want to be born again of the Holy Spirit. So you see, it's not enough to go to be doing the religious things of going to church, reading my Bible, praying. Those things should be a byproduct of a life that has been born again. And obedience. Obedience is a key to show that you are born again. That you are walking with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come into him and make our home in him. Make our home in. He'll make his home in me. Do you love him? Do you keep his word? Are you born again? Has he made his home in you? Because he said in verse 24 of John 14, he who does not love me does not keep my word. 
He's living in a direct contrast life. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39 through 40, He said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of Me, but you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. He was talking to the religious people, the religious leaders. They were doing all the outward external things. Okay, they were, they were up here. They were very religious and pious and self-righteous. But they weren't coming to Jesus. And we too need to come to Jesus and say, I, I need to be born again. You said it. He said, you can't see the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can't see the wind. I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind, how it blows on the trees. And so too is the believer. He should have the effects of the Spirit of God working in his life in accordance with obedience to God's Word. Because anyone could say, I'm a Christian. Anyone could say, I'm a Christian. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, in that day, in the day of judgment, he said, many will come to me on that day and say, haven't I did this? And haven't I did this? And haven't I did this? And Jesus will turn to him and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He's speaking in two terms there. One of a personal relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Secondly, are you practicing lawlessness? And lawlessness simply means that there's a line in the sand that God has has drawn and that's in his word and we're stepping over it. We're willfully just stepping over. it. Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, I give them life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing in him, you will have eternal life because you believe in his name. Why believe? Why believe? You see, if we're in that state of body and soul without being born again, that's a dangerous place to be. Because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, it is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. And what does Jesus say when you are not born again? When your body and soul be cast into hell. Why? Because we miss the mark. Because in John chapter 3 and verse 36, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, you're going to take the full brunt of God's wrath because God has to punish sin. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the last words were, one of his last words was, it is finished. To die. That was a transaction saying it is finished. It's paid in full. I paid for the wrath of God for all humanity. 
And so when a sinner repents, he puts his faith and trust in God. Jesus paid your fine. The wrath of God was satisfied in the life of Christ. His perfect life, he said in, John, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that he came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Perfect righteousness and holiness. So his perfect account is put to my account when I put my faith and trust in him. So I enter in heaven not because of my good works or my good looks or anything else. I, I simply go to heaven because of God's grace and his imputed righteousness is put to my account because I am born again. Because I am spiritually reborn. Again, remember, we were children by nature. We we're children of wrath by nature. Ephesians chapter 2. But when we ask the Lord, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I want to be born again. We again become a lesser trinity. Awaiting body, soul, and spirit. And Peter was speaking on the subject in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. In the terms of, of having been born again, he says, not of corruptible seed, speaking of the natural birth, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So that's a work of the spirit where God will make us born again. It's a supernatural work. You see, he talks about a natural, uh, an incorruptible seed. An in incorruptible seed. And we all know from Romans that we inherited a sin nature. We are born body and soul from a corruptible seed coming down from Abraham all the way down to your parents, to you, and you're passing it on to your children. Uh, a corruptible seed. We're all sinners. You don't have to teach your kids how to sin. They, they do it right away. They practice the 10th tenth, the tenth commandment right away, coveting mine. Or they go and they steal the toy from the other kid. You know, mine. Or they don't like them. Hatred. Seventh commandment. We don't have to, because they're born of the corruptible seed. But here, Peter mentions the incorruptible seed. The incorruptible seed. And speaking of terms of being born again. You know, incorruptible. Who is incorruptible? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it's very interesting. After, after the, the fall, it says that after the fall, there's going to be something that takes place that's very remarkable. In verse 15 at the latter part. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. 15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking of Satan. You and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, her seed. 
here we have a, a, a little glimpse of, see, Jesus was perfect. You see, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says that the seed of the woman, the virgin would bring forth a child. A virgin, uncorrupted. You see, Jesus didn't have an earthly father. It was of the Holy Spirit. So that seed wasn't passed down from Adam. That sin nature wasn't passed down from Adam. So therefore, Jesus is able to be that sinless, perfect sacrifice. In speaking to believers to be born again, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, after somebody becomes born again, he becomes spirit, because that word there, spirit, is pneuma in the Greek, spirit. That word soul is psyche, is where we get that word psyche, soul. And that last word body is soma, soma. So we become that lesser trinity again so that we can enter into heaven. So I have to ask you, are you born again? Are you born again? Because your good works will not save you on the day of judgment. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, a rich young ruler said, what may I do to enter, enter eternal life? And, and you know what? No, mat, no amount of good works can get you into heaven. And practicing evil works or wicked works won't get you there either. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Revelations 21, 8. It says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. We get to inherit because we are born again of the Holy Spirit. We get to be the, have the inheritance of the Lord because of the blood of Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 remarkable and he says he who overcomes shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he will be my son but the cowardly unbelieving abominable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers or idolaters and all liars have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone which is the second death so I have to be born again to go to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. There's an inheritance waiting for me if I am born again. But if I'm religious and I'm still a dichotomy and I, st I still have that sin nature, I ain't going to heaven on my good works, my good looks, or anything else. Can't buy my way into heaven. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, God has given us a conscience, and God is ministering to us through the Holy Spirit, and He tells us we are a sinner. We need a Savior. If you're not right tonight, you need to get right. Because God is calling you to get right. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is none other heaven, none, none other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved through Jesus. You see, heaven is a perpetual place of worship. It's a perpetual place of worship. We're going to be worshiping forever and ever and ever because our Lord is so worthy. He's going to be worshiping. Do you have a problem worshiping now? I have to check my heart. Do I sing praises to Him? Because John chapter 4 and verse 24 says, God said, Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, I could just be mumbling the words. You know, I remember, you know, going to, when, when Raw was on Sunset Avenue, I remember going in there and singing the songs. But I remember what I did after. I remember what I did before, the night before. I was muttering the songs, but I was not saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, 15 says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. See, I can't inherit an incorruptible kingdom by being in my sin. I have to be born again of the Holy Spirit. I need to be cleansed. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, that corruption came down, was passed down from Adam. So the last question in closing, are you born again? Are you born again? You know, we, we have to get, we have to be like a little child. Because he knows. He knows where we're at. You see, there's a gap of, sip, of separation of knowledge here. But he knows where I'm at. He knows where I'm at. And you know what? He's willing to stoop down and come down. And to die on your, in your place. And, and send the Holy Spirit to tug on your heart. And to show you that you're wrong. That you're in error. That I love you so much, I'm not willing that you should perish. But I'm trying to get your attention. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. We need to humble ourselves and examine ourselves. Because even the disciples got caught up in their own ideas. In Matthew 18, verse 4, 1 through 4, at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him. And he set him in the midst and he, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom there's a separation gap, but God reveals Himself through Scriptures. We understand at the beginning 
God created man in his image. But death came, man died. There's a separation. That's simple. And that if we would repent, put our faith and trust in him, he will make us born again. It's a supernatural work. And the evidence, is be, it should be a transformed life. So consider those things and ask yourself, are you born again? Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, I thank you for just sharing with us a simple understanding of how to understand the Trinity, Lord. Father, I thank you that even though there's a separation gap, you made it available for us to understand through Genesis with clarity from our Lord and the epistles that we could understand the Trinity, the nature of man and the work of your Spirit and your love for us. Father, we're so grateful that you've revealed this to babes, Lord. Help us to be better students, Lord. Help us to learn from you. Help us to take that child's example and learn and get to know you and express those things which you've taught us, Lord. Help us to communicate with you and have a better understanding that we may communicate with others when they have objections. And even at that, if we could communicate this with others because we don't want any should perish. Father, help us to be better witnesses. Help us to be better communicators with our families, our loved ones, and those in the highways and byways. Help us to be equipped and useful in your hands. And Father, I thank you for the work of your Spirit, Lord, how you're not willing that any should perish, Lord, and your, your Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. And Father, we thank you for the work you're doing. We pray, Father, as we worship, that you would touch hearts that we would consider where we're at this evening, that we would come to terms with you, that you would do a work of, on our soul so that we would come to ter- your terms and be born again. So as the worship team plays, we're going to pray. And if you recognize that you are, you are not born again, This is your opportunity. It takes place as you simply come forward and pray and recognize that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, God will do a supernatural work in you. He will make you born again. But He will not force you. So as we worship, you come and we'll pray.